Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Friday, August 30th, 2019. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, the biggest iPhone attack ever. Microsoft wants to make tablet mode on Windows 10 more desktop-y. Airlines are banning MacBook Pros. Jack Ma and Elon Musk debate AI. And of course, the weekend long read suggestions. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. So, in what was the biggest attack on iPhone users ever, for two years, a handful of websites were able to hack thousands of iPhones each week that visited those websites, allowing hackers to access the live location data, photos, contacts, even passwords on those iPhones. This is a pretty big deal because iPhones have long been considered pretty difficult to hack. Plus, the attack would lay bare everything. Encrypted emails, WhatsApp, Telegram, iMessage messages. The exploit was discovered by Google's Project Zero security research team, quoting them. There was no target discrimination. Simply visiting the hacked site was enough for the exploit server to attack your device, and if it was successful, install a monitoring implant. We estimate that these sites received thousands of visitors per week. Google's threat analysis group was able to collect five separate, complete, and unique iPhone exploit chains, covering almost every version from iOS 10 through to the latest version of iOS 12. This indicated a group making a sustained effort to hack the users of iPhones in certain communities over a period of at least two years, end quote. And quoting from Wired, This is terrifying, says Thomas Reed, a Mac and mobile malware research specialist at the security firm Malwarebytes. We're used to iPhone infections being targeted attacks carried out by nation-state adversaries. The idea that someone was infecting all iPhones that visited certain sites is chilling, end quote. The attack is notable not just for its breadth, but for the depth of information it could glean from a victim iPhone. Once installed, it could monitor live location data or be used to grab photos, contacts, and even passwords and other sensitive information from the iOS keychain. With such deep system access, the attackers could also potentially read or listen to communications sent through encrypted message services like WhatsApp, iMessage, or Signal. The malware doesn't break the underlying encryption, but these programs still decrypt data on the sender and receiver's devices. Attackers may have even grabbed access tokens that can be used to log into services like social media and communication accounts. Reed says that victim iPhone users would probably have had no indication that their devices were infected, end quote. Google is not naming the websites that functioned as the watering holes or the infection vector for this attack. Google did alert Apple to this vulnerability on February 1st, and Apple patched the vulnerabilities with the release of iOS 12.1.4 seven days later. What we also don't know is who is behind the attack and the speculation about that is frankly all over the map right now. 
A lot of people are saying this is clearly state-sponsored or maybe some form of domestic surveillance. But at the same time, a lot of what the hackers did seemed pretty amateurish. They didn't use HTTPS encryption, for example, so anyone could intercept the data that they themselves stole. Plus, the data was sent to a server whose IP address was actually in the malware code. Thus, it was easy to zero in on the group once detected. Malware Jake tweeted, quote, A hard-coded HTTP IP address is amateur hour. Contrast that with multiple exploit chains and sandbox escapes, and it sure sounds like a group with tons of money to buy exploits and little operational experience. So many thoughts right now, end quote. The TLDR here, as far as I can tell, is that the assumption has always been that while individual iPhones could be hacked, it was actually very much thought to be a case of individuals. And it was also very much thought to be expensive, as much as $2 million per incident. So essentially, security experts always thought that you only had to worry about, say, governments targeting the phones of an individual dissident, not entire groups. But here you have the ability to hack entire populations. So, as Jason Kobler tweeted, this is crazy, 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 crazy. Upends everything I thought I knew about iPhone security, end quote. Microsoft have started testing a more desktop-like Windows 10 tablet mode for two-in-one convertible PCs. Quoting The Verge, Currently, Windows 10 throws you into a more tablet-optimized UI that removes taskbar icons and puts the start menu full screen when a device automatically switches into tablet mode. Microsoft is now walking back some of those changes while keeping some touch-optimized elements for two-in-one PCs. In the new tablet experience, the desktop will remain in full view with the taskbar icons visible and increased spacing between them. If enabled, the search box will collapse into an icon, and the touch keyboard will appear when you tap on a text field. File Explorer will also switch to a touch-optimized layout, end quote. Additionally, Microsoft is testing cloud download options that would allow you to reset or restore a Windows 10 PC without the need for a local disk or recovery drive or USB thumbnail drive, similar to what macOS has had for a while now. For a while now, this startup has fascinated me. You know, Eric Ries, the author of that book that you might have read called The Lean Startup. Well, Ries and a lot of other people have long decried the short-term pressures that companies have to endure once they go public and then have to juice those quarterly earnings numbers every three months. His brainstorm is the long-term stock exchange. This would provide companies with a stock exchange that had all the good bits of being publicly traded, but without some of those pesky drawbacks, like activist investors, but generally short-termism in general. In short, by doing things like tenured share voting, which means you wouldn't be able to have input on a company until you held your investment for a certain amount of time, the exchange would allow companies, as the name implies, to build for the long term. The long-term stock exchange, or LTSE, got SEC approval back in May to become the country's 14th national stock exchange. The LTSE will be under the same regulatory framework as the NYSE and NASDAQ, but 
allowed to implement their own rules. Well, the LTSE has just raised a $50 million Series B, led by Founders Fund. Andreessen Horowitz also doubled down on their original investment. No word on when this new stock exchange might begin operation, though. If you'll recall, I was worried about exactly this. Multiple airlines worldwide have begun banning Apple's laptops in checked luggage, regardless of whether or not the laptops in question fall under the serial numbers specified in the recalls that Apple recently made. Quoting Bloomberg, all 15-inch versions of Apple's MacBook Pro must be carried in the cabin and switched off, Qantas said in a statement Wednesday. The rule went into effect Tuesday morning. Rival Virgin Australia went further on August 26, banning all Apple laptops, period, from checked luggage. Australia's two biggest airlines join a growing list of carriers and jurisdictions across the world, cracking down on the portable computers out of concern some could self-combust. The models in question are some 15-inch MacBook Pros sold from September 15th to February 2017. Apple issued the recall in June saying, quote, in a limited number of older generation 15-inch MacBook Pro units, the batteries may overheat and pose a fire safety risk, end quote. Singapore Airlines and Thai Airways have already stopped passengers from taking any of the affected models on their aircraft, end quote. So the good news, I guess, is that they're still letting the devices on the planes at this point. But still, flying to Australia, that's a trek that would cry out for any distractions your laptop could give you, right? How do you make a password that's strong enough so no one will guess it and it's impossible for you to forget and do it for a hundred different sites and make it so everyone in your company can do the same without ever needing to reset them? Sounds impossible unless you have one password. More than any other product I've ever told you about, I can vouch 1,000% for 1Password. I can't live without it. 1Password makes strong security easy for your people and gives you the visibility you need to take action when you need to. Any device, any time, 1Password lets you securely switch between iPhone, Android, Mac, and PC with convenient features like autofill for quick sign-ins. All you have to remember is the one strong account password that protects everything else. Your logins, your credit cards, secure notes, or the office Wi-Fi password. 1Password's award-winning password manager is trusted by millions of users and over 100,000 businesses from IBM to Slack. It beat out 40 other options to become Wirecutter's top pick for password managers. Right now, my listeners get a free two-week trial at 1Password.com slash ride for your growing business. That's two free weeks at 1Password.com slash ride. Don't let security slow your business down. Go to 1Password.com slash ride. In 2023, just 10 vulnerabilities accounted for over half of the incidents responded to by our sponsors today, Arctic Wolf Incident Response. Wouldn't you love to know how to take these vulnerabilities off the table and make life more difficult for cybercriminals? That's just one of the essential insights you'll find inside the Arctic Wolf Labs 2024 Threats Report. Authored by their elite team of security researchers, data scientists, and security development engineers, and backed by the data gained from trillions of weekly observations within thousands of unique environments, this report offers expert analysis into attack types, root causes, top vulnerabilities, TTPs, and more. 
discover the attack vectors behind nearly half of all successful cybercrimes, why ransom demands climbed 20% from 2023, and find out why 2024 will be an especially volatile year for cybersecurity. Learn more and get your copy now at arcticwolf.com forward slash tech meme. That's arcticwolf.com forward slash tech meme. I'm going to segue into the weekend long reads with this sort of read suggestion. Jack Ma and Elon Musk held a public quasi-debate about artificial intelligence in Shanghai yesterday, where Musk, as is his wont, sounded the alarm about the perils of AI, while Ma was more sanguine, which in a way sort of sums up the Chinese-U.S. tech divide. I'm going to read a little bit from a transcript. There's more in the piece that I'm quoting from that Bloomberg put together. And this went viral on the socials, so you might be able to find video out there too. Quote, Musk, people underestimate the capability of AI. They sort of think it's like a smart human, but it's going to be much smarter than the smartest human you will ever know. Ma, I never in my life say human beings will be controlled by machines. It's impossible. Human beings can never create another thing that is smarter than human beings. Musk. I very much disagree with that. The biggest mistake I see people making is to assume they're smart. Ma. My view is that computers might be more clever. Human beings are much smarter. Musk. Yeah, definitely not. Ma. I'm quite optimistic, and I don't think artificial intelligence is a threat. I don't think artificial intelligence is something terrible, but human beings are smart enough to learn that. People like us, street smart, we're never scared of that. Musk. I don't know, man. That's like famous last words. All right, then that means it's time for the weekend long read suggestions. Let's start with my favorite topic, which, as you know, is tech history. Unix is turning 50 this year. In its own way, Unix has eaten the world in its iOS and Android guises. But have you ever read up on the actual history of Unix? The history lesson I'm pointing you to comes from Ars Technica, so you know it's long and detailed and well-researched. Here's some color from the very first moment that Unix blinked into life. Quote, The PDP-7 didn't have a tape drive or a hard drive at the time. The system was booted by feeding a punched paper tape into it. Without an attached drive, the file system they had worked so hard on had to wait. But at least they had a functioning multi-user time-sharing environment to play around with. Still, the team felt this was an accomplishment and christened their operating system Unix, U-N-I-C-S, short for Uniplexed Information and Computing System. At least that's the official explanation. According to Multics history site, Multitions.org, the pronunciation like Unix E-U-N-U-C-H-S, was considered doubly appropriate because the team viewed this new operating system running on an obsolete hand-me-down computer as, quote, Maltics without any balls, end quote. From the past to the future, did you know that we're about to get Wi-Fi 6? It's coming this fall, in fact. What is Wi-Fi 6? Here's Wired to lay out all of the tech specs and standards and companies supporting it. But top level, quote, As with most new standards, its stewards say that Wi-Fi 6 will ultimately make our tech lives better and faster. That's probably true. But keep in mind that the main objective with the launch of Wi-Fi 6 is to increase the performance and reliability 
of wireless connectivity at a network level, not necessarily on a single device or at a single access point. Sure, your Roku and your Nintendo Switch will see wireless speed gains, but a lot of the new computational intelligence behind Wi-Fi 6 will be devoted to handling streaming to multiple gadgets at once. It's Wi-Fi for a world crowded with mobile gadgets, IoT devices, and connected equipment, end quote. And this is something that I feel like is simultaneously not talked about a lot, but also, at the same time, I feel like fairly well-known. For all of the hype, mobile payments have simply not caught on in the U.S. in a major way yet. This piece from CNBC is actually chock full of hard numbers and data, but bottom line, quote, it seems odd considering the ubiquity of iPhones and Androids in the United States. More than 81% of Americans own a smartphone, up from 35% just eight years ago, according to Pew Research Center. While experts say mobile payments in the U.S. will eventually close the gap, they see legacy financial systems, a lack of a need for other options, and rewards cards as major headwinds, end quote. That's interesting. I never thought of the rewards cards angle. Hmm. Rewards cards. Who recently launched a credit card with generous rewards, despite having one of the more popular mobile payment platforms out there? And according to Bloomberg, there is a major tech bubble bursting right now. It's in the world of drones, and it's wiping out startups and hammering the returns of VCs who dove enthusiastically into the space. Quote, some of the biggest startups began closing their doors last year after burning through hundreds of millions in venture capital poured into a fledgling industry that, despite forecasts for explosive growth, is taking longer to mature than expected. Dozens of others are getting swept up in a consolidation wave as drone companies search for a profitable niche in a rapidly shifting marketplace. Quote, there was some irrationality around drones, a period of hype driven by the popularity of the hobby sector, said Kay Wackwitz, founder and chief executive officer of research group Drone Industry Insights. We're getting past that, and people are coming back to reality, end quote. And finally, Ninja Who. NBC says that older people are embracing video games in increasing numbers, and some of them are becoming legitimate gaming idols. Quote, in a 2016 study by the American Association of Retired Persons and the Entertainment Software Association, 38% of Americans aged 50 and older said they play video games regularly. Half of the respondents in the 2016 study who said they play online games say they play more online games now on a range of platforms, including mobile, console, and computer, than they did five years ago. We're seeing an increase overall, Allison Bryant, Senior Vice President of Research for AARP, said of Americans 50 and older who play video games. Bryant declined to give updated numbers, citing a study AARP will release on the topic this year, end quote. This NBC piece highlights a 66-year-old man who has a Twitch channel called Grandpa Gaming, where he plays Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, before an audience of 200,000 subscribers, and Shirley Curry, 83, who has a YouTube channel with 700,000 subscribers where she plays Skyrim. Bethesda Softworks announced in March that Curry will be immortalized as a character in an upcoming game. Man, the trains were so empty this morning that I actually got a seat on the way in. And half the people on the train this morning were carrying roller luggage, as I presume they were heading off for some early weekend destination. That can only mean one thing. It's the end of summer. 
It's a holiday weekend in the U.S., Labor Day. What I've learned from doing the weekend bonus episodes this year is that around holidays like these, everyone is out of office. So it's not even worth trying to book people for bonus episodes. That means no weekend bonus episodes this weekend and no episode this Monday either because I'll be taking a day off as well. Because frankly, there's just not that much news that's going to happen on Monday anyway. Talk to you all on Tuesday. 